in, in four sections, and I'm going to do as little work as possible, and you're going to do most of it. Is that okay? So if you want to change groups now, now's a good time to do it, because you're thinking, oh, I've got to spend the evening with these people. Yeah, you have. Um, I'm going to talk about the nature of healing. I'm going to talk about the nature of medicine. I'm going to talk about the nature of miracles. I'm going to talk about the nature of faith. Well, I'm going to start it off, and you're going to talk about the nature of those things. Is that okay? Um, I know that you've got to finish at half past nine. Is that right? Anybody who's bored before then, please feel free to leave. I shan't be offended. Um, just a quick thing about ACORN. Uh, you, many of you will know that we were based down at a residential centre in Borden, which we gave up, thank you Jesus, just before the pandemic hit. Boy, if ever that was a moment of guidance, that was one of them. Um, because had we kept the building, we didn't own it, we just leased it, um, ACORN would no longer exist. But what we are doing is we're planting out healing hubs. Small groups of people, you often used to say groups of small people, but actually it's small groups of people who gather together to train, to learn, to prepare and to pray about how they can extend the healing ministry of Jesus in their community. And we're just about to work on our ninth. We've got two in Northern Ireland, uh, Dorchester, uh, Leicester, Gosport, one down in Hindhead. We've got one in East Lincolnshire. We are about to negotiate to start one in the Carlisle Diocese, and we're starting one in Guildford. Now, that's not my idea. That was the team's idea. And they're going to start a healing hub in a cafe down the high street. And they asked the cafe owner if it'd be okay if they prayed for people in the cafe for healing. And he's, you know, non-Christian, his thing was, well, so long as you don't disturb anybody. And, and you think, well, what could possibly go wrong? I mean, you know, I mean, all the healing prayer you've ever seen, I mean, nobody would know it was happening. So, on that basis, is that okay? If you talk to me, I talk less, it's over quicker. <laughs> yes, okay. So, let's, let's take, um, this is that church is actually St. Peter and St. Paul in Lincolnshire. And actually, it is in a village called Healing. The village is called Healing. And a friend of mine, his wife had cancer. She was prayed for in a, 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 charismania, a charismatic church, and God graciously healed her. And so they moved to Healing. They physically moved to a village in East Lincolnshire called Healing. Because they said, if we've experienced the healing of God, we want to live in the reality of that all the time. And I thought, what an incredible thing, you know. I mean, um, you, I don't know whether you want to move to a place called the National Lottery. I mean, there's another uh, option for you there. But it was a step of incredible faith. And sort of healing, we all believe in healing. Everybody believes in healing. Whether you have faith or no faith, or any other faith, whether you're an evangelical or whether you're a conservative, whatever you are, you believe in healing. I can prove it to you. Because when you have a headache, you will take a paracetamol to try and alleviate the condition. And if it doesn't work, you'll go to your doctor because you believe in healing. It's just the way you are. Now, you're saying, yeah, but you're not talking about that. Well, okay, give me a moment, and I'll throw a question at you. The body is essentially a self-healing mechanism. So you cut your finger, and as soon as you've, it stops bleeding, it starts to heal. It starts to repair itself. So when we are praying for healing, 
I guess, in a sense, what we're asking for is the acceleration of the body's natural process. So when I say, in Jesus' name, be healed, I'm sort of saying to God, God, could you really just speed up what normally takes a week? Could you just get it done right now, or a month, or a year? Because the body has that capacity to do it. Of course, there's the issue of creating new tissue. What happened when Jesus prays for the leper in Mark chapter 1? What did he look like before Jesus touched him? If there was leprosy, there was clearly skin decay. Maybe body parts were missing because of the nature of leprosy. What happened? Uh, one of the things I've, I've debated is, you know Malchus? He's the guy who lost his head, not ear in, in the garden you know, when Jesus was arrested. You know him. Peter gets really passionate about him. Don't ever have Peter on your PCC. It's not going to go well. Okay, but, um, and because what does he do? He, he cuts the guy's ear off. I want to find Malchus when we get to glory and say, what on earth happened? I mean, did Jesus pick it up off the floor and do the sort of the three-second rule, you know, blow on it, put it back, you know, and pray, did that, or, or did he get another ear? And, and he looked down and thought, what's that ear? And, and it, there's, there's an ear on the floor, there's an ear on his head. I mean, what happened? You're thinking, please don't ask me. <laughs> when the woman who's been um, oppressed by Satan for 18 years, she has what is called kyphosis. It's the curvature of the spine that does that. When she gets healed, what, what happened? Wouldn't you love to see the video of that, just to watch it? Okay. I've actually seen that happen in front of my eyes. A woman with kyphosis in the Guildford Diocese and she was prayed for by the Acorn team, and I watched her straighten up in front of my eyes. And now, you, you've got a problem with the story, because you think, yeah, come on. You'd like it to be true, wouldn't you? Because it, it, it's going to make Christianity look good. But of course, on the other side, we've got the thing that I've done today. I've been to a hospice, to a lady who will die tomorrow, once they turn the ventilator off. So there's this sort of thing about new tissue, um, and when the need is too great for the body to cope, what we do is we seek for some form of intervention. So we're trying to find a way that this mechanism that isn't responding can get help, and so we do it that way. So one of the questions then is this. What does healing look like? To you. The body has a capacity to do certain things. Acorn has a ministry that's focused on body, mind, and spirit. So what I'd like you to do, take five minutes in your group, I'd like you to talk about what healing means to you. When you hear the word, when somebody like me stands up and tells you a story like that, what does it mean to you? So off you go. That means you've got to turn to the person around you or go to another group and think, I'm not staying with this lot, you know, and start to talk, okay? Off you go. What does healing mean to you? Okay, if you know what that means, you are watching too much daytime television, okay? Now, could you just do a, do a thing for me? Uh, put your hand up if you've either done it yourself 
or you know of, some, of a situation where somebody has been prayed for and it hasn't worked or they've died. Put your hand up. Excellent. Okay, so we accept that that happens. All right? So don't lead with that now. We accept that that happens. I will address that in a, in a little while. Okay, because one of the dangers for us is that we make our theology out of our caveats, out of the things that didn't happen, out of the, 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 the anecdotal stories. And so what we're trying to do is to say, okay, what does healing mean to you? Now, here it is. We're going to take a bit of feedback, but you're not allowed to give out the thing that you said. You've got to give out something that somebody else said. Okay? So that shows where you're listening or were you bothered? So actually, if you got a feedback, what I like, just from you know, some of the groups, just tell me something that you heard, not your opinion, but something that somebody else heard. And here it is. It's not switched on, and I don't know how, I'm not going to touch it, because I can't heal microphones, but I have broken them quite frequently. So tell me, just tell me something that somebody else said, not your thing. Restoration. 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 Okay. Anybody else? Uh, over there. You're going to be really fit by the time this is over. Salvation. S salvation. Okay. Anybody else? S yeah. The minimum is peace. Okay. The minimum is peace. It's great these things aren't things that you thought of. They're things that somebody else thought of. What else? Time. <laughs> Is that, is that like in a pub? <laughs> Existential you, answer that was, wasn't it? You just said, hey, we're, we're done. <laughs> no, healing can take time. 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 Healing is time. It can take, can take time. time. Oh, it can take time. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. It can take time. Yeah, over there. We spend our time listening to other people's stories of God's working and healing people like... Sorry, what's your name? Maggie. Maggie was talking about her brother who was being healed as a power of prayer. We've had Peter talking about his father. Okay. All these miraculous signs that we've All witnessed. Right. Mm, great. Last one. one. Just one more, just for the sake of it. You're thinking, not me. You've developed a prayer life now, haven't you? And your prayer goes, dear God, I'll go anywhere and do anything so long as you don't let him get me involved in anything tonight. Any more? Okay, all right, we'll take that. So, in a sense, what you've said is um, it's salvation, it's restoration, it's peace, it takes time. And they're all really good Christian concepts. But you didn't really answer the question about what it meant to you. You know, very often we give the Christian answer. This is the thing that, but what would it actually mean for you? Not the person next to you, but for you. And so there's a little bit of thing there. So let, let's go on to the next bit here. How about, um, yeah, okay, I'll do this. Let me give you three radical truths and see if you disagree or see where you disagree with me on it. One of the things that, um, I was with some clergy today. Um, you know, you have good days and bad days. This is a clergy day. And um, we were talking about the fact that if they asked me the question, What's it like to be in the healing ministry? And I said, you have to have a very high Christology. You have to have a very high view of Jesus. 
Because one of the things for us, very often in our church culture, is that we have put humanity back at the center of the universe. Somebody called it therapeutic deism. So you talk about healing in any shape or form, and there's always a there's always a, a story, there's always a thing that didn't happen, there's always a caveat, there's always an excuse, there's always a thing that you've got to bear, because actually we've put humanity back at the centre of the universe, not God. And I, Let me um, explain that in a moment, but take this. So here are three radical truths that we work on. The first one is this. God wants me well and whole. Notice I put the word whole in inverted commas, because I know what whole is for me, I can't say what whole is for you, only you can do that. So what do you think? God wants me well and whole. Um, let's take a quick straw poll. How many people agree with the statement? How many people have got questions about the statement? How many people don't want to put their hands up? <laughs> okay, all right, okay. So, so there you go, a simple statement that God wants me well and whole. Now, just work that through. The opposite of that is that God doesn't want me well and whole. But of course, we, we feel a little bit more uncomfortable with that because God is good all the time, yes, and yeah, God is fundamentally good, agreed? You're supposed to say yes because it's in the Bible, okay. <laughs> Um, I tell you what, if, if I'm going to ask you a trick question, I will tell you it's a trick question before I ask it. Is that all right? And then you know not to answer me. But the Bible reveals that God is fundamentally good. Agreed? Yeah. You're happy with that? So a good God would want you well and whole. Yeah? Anybody change their opinion in the last 30 seconds? You've, you've moved to the side here. Yeah, I think that's true. So let's do it again. How many people think that God does want you well and whole? I'm not trying to catch anybody out. It's just really interesting, isn't it? So, how about the next one, then? That on the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to make that a reality. How many people agree with that one? Okay. On the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to make that a reality. God wants me well and whole. On the cross, Jesus did everything... So the question I'm asking is this, is there anything in the passion story that is left out of human reality? Is there any bit that God looked afterwards and said, oh, darn, we didn't get that one in? Or was everything covered? What do you think? Yeah? Every, how many people think everything? How many people think maybe not everything? Okay. How many people aren't sure that they want to get, be here anyhow and wish they'd never come? Okay, right. So, so you, you've got a thing here, isn't it? Two fundamental questions. Does God want you well and whole? And, so, and very often one of the things that people will pray is they'll pray the if it be your will prayer. Because that, that, sounds, that sounds quite sort of spiritual, doesn't it? You know. But of course that's a bit like asking if it's God's will that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Because there are things that he's already declared his will about that we don't question at all. So, for example, is there anybody that God doesn't really want to save? Can you think of anybody that God would say, no, I'm really not 
going to do that one. You would have a theology that says that he came to seek and save the lost. That anybody who, whosoever will may come. Agreed? You don't question that being God's will. You don't, you don't come to, when Tom says we're going to do evangelism, you don't say, Lord, if it be your will that my neighbor that I really don't like and keeps putting his bin in my driveway on purpose, if it be your will that he gets saved, you know that he needs to get saved. You never question it. How did we get to the caveat about healing on the same basis? Do you know, it only says once in the Bible, you must be born again. Now, evangelicals, I'm an evangelical, I've got the badge, I've paid up, right? But it only says once, you've got to be born again. John chapter 3. Now, there are 12 references to new birth in the New Testament. I understand that. But it only says once. And we've made an inc- a total theology and church practice out of that. Agreed? Do you know, only the, the willingness of God to heal in the New Testament is only questioned once. And it's the leper. And he says, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus says, hmm, I'm not really sure about that. Actually, he says, yes, I am willing. It's the only time. So my question was, as we looked at the issue of healing, how did we get theology in some things, but then get a different theology about other things? Because you would never, from the Bible, ever get to the place of saying, God doesn't want you well and whole. By reading the scriptures, you'd never get to that conclusion. In fact, the early church didn't get to that conclusion. In fact, this is early church theology, but never mind. So, God want, on the cross, Jesus did everything necessary to make that a reality. How about this one, then? That the Holy Spirit is present and active to put that into effect. Now, all the charismatics have got to accept that, okay? Because <laughs> you're thinking, oh, gosh, otherwise I'm going to get my membership to the EA cancelled. But actually, isn't that true? So, if those th- three things are true, then there's maybe a journey that we've got to take. If God does want you well and whole, if God is fundamentally good, if on the cross everything was covered, one of the things we do in the Acorn Healing Academy, which meets every month for three hours on a Saturday, and we're training at the moment uh, just over 50 people on the academy in the healing ministry of Jesus. But one of the interesting things about that, we ask the question, um, take a look at the healing that takes place in Passion Week, all of it, not just the cross moment. There is healing all the way through Easter week, all the way through it, because nothing is left out. But of course, the question is, the Holy Spirit is present and active to put that in effect, but do you know what we'd really like? We'd really like him to do it without us, because that's the problem, isn't it? I know that if Jesus was here in his body, he'd be able to do a lot more than him being here in my body. Is that fair enough? You ever felt like that? No? Just me? Okay, all right. So, let's take then a look at the next bit. Let's take a look at the nature of medicine. Um, I'm not a scientist. Repeat, I'm not a scientist. With apologies to any medics in the room right now. Even if you cook in a hospital, I apologize. Okay? But I got this from a medic. In fact, I sat down with him and I said, um, I'm going to give you some diseases and I'd like you to put the name on it. 
So I took him through all the healing stories of Jesus. And I said, if I came to you with this, what would you say that I had? And what would the symptoms be? It's fantastic. Because you look at the things that Jesus actually healed. They have medical names to them. But actually, the nature of medicine is assisting the body or the mind to heal. Actually, generally speaking, that's the function of your GP or your surgeon. They're going to intervene in some way to assist your body to heal and to recover. Sometimes that's more drastic. Sometimes it, it's less so. But it's to give you the best possible quality of life, whatever that looks like. So they will use a number of different things. They will use medication or surgery or therapy. Um, you could look at the list and say, yep, yeah, done that one, yep, yeah, had that one, yeah, got that, need that one. But there are different things that are interventions that you would take. Remember, we started by saying when the body is no longer able to heal itself, we seek intervention. Be that a person in a doctor's surgery on an operating table, your pharmacist, or something else. So, the best possible quality of life, and honestly, please, any medics here, this is his words, not mine, okay? But I said, how do you make a decision? What, what goes through your mind when somebody sits down in your surgery? I, I go to see my doctor, and he says, how are you? And I don't know why, but I say I'm fine. And, that, and it's clear that I'm not, otherwise I wouldn't be there. But he says, beyond that. And I said, how do you decide what happens? He says, well, you will explain to me your symptoms. And I will start with what I think is the biggest probability that those, systems, that those symptoms represent. And that's why, he said, that's why when you go to the hospital, they will get a second or a third opinion because they're working on probability. So I said to him, well, you're guessing really then, aren't you? He said, yeah, but it is a very, very, very educated and expensive guess. But actually, it's on informed probability. That's why you go and you might get some medication for something, and you'll go back and you'll say, actually, it hasn't really changed. And so your doctor will go to the next probability in order to work it down to find out what your particular need is. I did have a good go at my friend when he said it was informed pro probability. I said, I work on the same basis. It's just that I haven't got a scalpel. We're working on informed probability from the Spirit of God. But then, hold, before you stone me, or before you get stoned, um, just uh, work on this one. So, within that, there is a question. And here's my question. Is there a tension between medical pronouncements and biblical promises? Okay, so you go to the doctor, um, and, uh, actually, well, I did. I went to the doctor, and I had a blood test. And he called me back in, and he said, uh, your blood test is really, um, you know, funny. We think, I think you, you've got diabetes, see? So I, sat, I remember sitting in his surgery thing and saying, in the name of Jesus, I completely reject that. I'm not having that. Now, what I knew about the probability that he didn't know is that, and I know you're going to look at me and say, how do you not know that? But an hour before I had my blood test, I had honey and lemon for a cold, and it shot my sugar level up straight through the thing. So there's a pronouncement. You're going to be like this for the rest of your life. Ever heard that one? And actually, 
as, as, a Christ, as a human being, you go, yeah, okay. But there's another question, isn't there, as a Christian? And it's, but God. You said that this is the reality, but actually you can look at other things and say, yeah, but you've excluded the fact that God might do something else. So here's my question. Go into your groups again. If you don't like the group you're with, pretend to go to the loo, come back and join another one. But uh, talk about this. Is there a tension between medical pronouncements and biblical promises? And what is it? Okay, off you go. I can see you're less excited about this one than you were the first one. Oh, okay, right. Come back and let's see. What do you think? Is there a tension? What is that tension? Look, here is a... Um, a little verse, it says, uh, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. There you go. It's in the Bible. I just found it there. So, is there a tension between medical pronouncements and biblical promises? What do you think? Somebody said something over here. I'm sorry about this. And what is it? Yes, I I totally believe because um, medical intervention brings in the human side again and um, not working through the Holy Spirit. There is a place in the Bible where it said, Jesus said that um, they were were in a house one night and they were healing. And because they didn't believe in Christ, they were attacked by the evil spirit and they fled the house naked. And that's in the Bible. So obviously, healing comes through Christ, not through medical science. Okay, if you all believe right. in the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Okay, we'll hold that intention just for a moment. Okay, anybody else? I, I'm not looking for a right answer. I'm just looking for, what do you, what do you think? Okay, somebody okay. I, I, if you don't answer, I pick on somebody. Is there a attention that God has equipped you to do the healing? So therefore, through his love and through the promises made to you in your salvation and given you the gift of a medic... Okay. And to maybe cure cancer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is that a gift against, you know, working with the Holy Spirit and working with God in order to um, promote your healing, as it were? Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I like that. Lady over there at the back. They're going to do this on purpose. Somebody at the front <laughs> will want you next. God gave all the medical knowledge and thing. So I think that tension because it all comes from God uh, okay all I, science is, is led by God yeah okay let, let me just put my, my thing up there for your next one that mir- there's, miracle and medicine aren't in opposition okay they're both the work of God what I was talking about was when a medic pronounces something over you is, is there any tension between that and what the Bible says about that same thing sorry Okay, so for instance, they say this will never change and it's going to be like this forever. Well, yeah, you don't know if that's going to be the case or not in, in one sense because you can claim that the Bible says something different, but on the other hand, they might say, oh, that'll heal perfectly fine, which is yeah, okay. in totally in line with Bible, so it depends what they're pronouncing. Okay, yeah, very good. <laughs> in fact, my friend, who's a, the GP, said doctors don't use two words, always and never. So, you know, I thought, okay, right. Anybody else? Uh, Lady over there. Yeah. 
Um, just a simple thing that I heard, which is to accept the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. Okay. So go on, go deeper. Um, well, if you're given a diagnosis with a particular condition, that you accept that that's what they're saying you've got, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that, that can't and won't change and that you can't be healed either medically or otherwise. Okay, so, got it. Yeah. Thank you. Accept the diagnosis, but not the prognosis. Very erudite. So actually we're saying sometimes there is a tension between what a medic might tell you out of good faith and lots of expertise and learning, but actually the God element is in there as well. Agreed or not? Yeah, anybody else? Over there, yeah, okay. Thank you. Um, it, it's about the earlier slide, I think, talked about well-being and, and or wellness and wholeness. And actually, from the, the medical point of view, the focus perhaps is on well-being. Health and well-being is part of what a lot of us do in our day jobs, I guess. But actually, when something turns out not quite as you hope it will, with a bad prognosis, bad diagnosis, actually that could be the opportunity to discover the wholeness that you, you don't have at the moment. And actually, through that experience, you have a sort of well-being from a medical point of view, but it's the opportunity to discover the real whole being in you. Okay. Yeah, okay, I sort of understand that. Um, one of the things I'd said is, if you go to a baker's in Sainsbury's and say, please, can I have a loaf of bread? And he disappears from the counter, and three hours later, he comes back with a packet of Paxo sage and onion stuffing. And he says, there you are. And just as you're about to take it, he says, ah, but you can't have it yet. You can have it in three weeks' time, in my timing. So actually, we, we tend to, and I understand what you're saying, because I think that th this is a bigger issue, so I'm, I want to try and maybe deal with perhaps a little fine point of it. Jesus says, if you ask for her, you will get her. And so I think sometimes, are we hedging our bets because we don't want to risk anything? Or are we trying to find a way to explain something that hasn't happened? So all of those are true, valid. Okay, yes, we can do the third one. What I'd like you to do is, could you stand up for a moment, please? If you're able, if you're not, please remain seated. Right, um, could half the group go and join another group and half of another group come and join another group. So off you go. Just go and join another group for a minute. Okay. Yeah, you didn't want that one, did you? <laughs> Don't all of the group go, just some of the group. <laughs> and when the music stops, the chair you've got is the one you can sit in. Okay. You know, the trouble now is you're sitting there thinking, I should have moved. I knew I should have moved. Okay, so we've looked at the, the nature of um, healing. We looked at a little bit of the nature of medicine. And please, I'm not a medic, so I freely uh, admit that. Um, and a lot of our praxis in ACORN is born out of um, study and reflection. ACORN is quite a theological place because we have to 
find ways of orientating ourselves around the, the, the issues that come to us. Most people come to ACORN when things are very serious, when there isn't anywhere else to go. So part of that is we've had to find a way that we journey with that in both, I use the word loosely, success when it, you know, it goes right, and of course when perhaps it hasn't. And so I was just uh, talking earlier that the lady who um, will probably die tomorrow, I can very easily say we won because she's going to glory. We lost because actually this was so wrong. It was so ill-timed. It was so ill-placed. It just doesn't feel like Jesus. And so I can say we lost. I can say we won and we lost at the same time. Because God doesn't always get his will done, does he? Are you not sure whether that's the right theological statement, are you? <laughs> he doesn't. Um, put your hand up if you've never, ever, ever sinned. No, <laughs> sorry, that was a trick here. Okay, so when you were sinning, was God getting his will done? No. If you look at your newspaper or your television, does God always get his will done? No, he doesn't at the moment. This is why you're asked to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done, and to work for it. So maybe in the issue of healing, God doesn't always get what he wants. And maybe because God can, does it mean he always can? What do you think? Just because in healing God can, does it mean he always can? Well, actually, there's a there's story that says that Jesus could do no mighty miracle among them because of. So there are some other things that maybe are at play in this, and we had to try and work those out. So here we go. Um, miracle and medicine are not in opposition. They are both the work of God. Um, if you are a medic of any description, could you just raise your hand? I'm not going to ask for your wallet or anything like that. Can I just thank you for all the investment and the study that you've put in and all the work and the compassion that you've given. And you probably don't get thanked enough in church for being part of the healing ministry of Jesus. But thank you. We are genuinely grateful for all that you've invested and all you've done. And I would want you to know that the church is grateful and we should be grateful for you. But the next bit is this one about miracle. And, of course, the nature of uh, miracles. I did look for a town called Miracle, but it came this sort of rather seedy Christian story about a town called Miracle, so I couldn't do that. Um, but what happens when there is no further hope or process in front of somebody? A man comes and stands in front of me, and he says this. He says, do you believe in healing? And I said, yes, I do. He said, I have pancreatic cancer. Will you pray for me? What do you think? <laughs> you can't really go, no, don't really fancy it, actually, to be honest. Mm. Could you find somebody else? You know. Interestingly enough, he had searched the, we the, the web in the south of England, and we were the only people he could find who overtly said that we believe that God heals and we prepare to pray for you. Which, in a funny sense, being an Anglican priest is a little bit of an indictment one way or the other. Really interesting. So one of the key things is this. When there is no further hope or process, um, we become open to divine intervention. Agreed? And I'm not just talking about Christian divine intervention. People will go to spiritualists. 
They'll do all sorts of things with crystals, and you name it, people have tried it. Because if there is no human hope, they will find another alternative. One of the things that interests me is this, that people don't perceive that institutional religion has anything meaningful to say to the condition that they're in. And I know that you want to say, no, but we're a nice church. I'm not saying that you're not. What I'm saying is that the people who don't come don't perceive that the church of any shape or size is the place to go if you need healing. It doesn't really enter into their thinking. So, but they are willing to seek a divine intervention. They want something else. And uh, the story of, uh, of the healing, let's call it a ministry, the healing reality throughout history is marked with the weird and wonderful things that people have done to try and find a solution to a physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual need. And of course, the gift of miracles is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in your Bible. just thought I'd mention that. It's actually in the Bible. It's one of the gifts that Paul talks about. Um, you've probably been in meetings and said, uh, if you want to receive more of uh, the Holy Spirit, please come forward. Have you done that here? No? It's worth doing. You should try it. You'd like it. Um, or you come and said, you know, if you, want, if you want to come and dedicate your life to service. You know, done that one? Are you doing it? No. Um, you know, and you do a number of things. I bet you've never been in a meeting where somebody said, if you want to receive the gift of miracles, come and stand here and we're going to pray for you. Anybody been in there? And did you get it? Good. At least one out of one works. Isn't it interesting? We talk about, well, let's be loving. Let's be forgiving. Let's be gracious. I discovered that the Baptist church I grew up in wanted me to be like Jesus. They just didn't want me to act like him. They wanted me to be loving. They wanted me to be truthful. They wanted me to be honest. They didn't want me to discover that I was a disciple that Jesus sent out to do the things that he did. And they were right. I was going to cause a lot of trouble in that process as we learned. But maybe on Sunday... Perhaps you could suggest to Tom, hey, Tom, why don't we just have a ministry line and say, anybody want to receive the gift of miracles? No, it's all right, I won't do it. You're looking at me as if to say, stop now. Okay, I will. Um, so there are three general classifications of miracles. There are what are called uh, supernatural uh, miracles, um, and they focus on subjects in which similar effects never occur in the course of nature, ordinarily. So the resurrection of Lazarus is a supernatural miracle. Dead people don't naturally come back to life. Supernatural miracle. This will only happen if there is some external intervention more powerful than the death that has occurred. And supernatural miracles are sometimes called miracles above or beyond nature. You okay with that one? <laughs> no. Okay, let's, let's try the next one. There are what are called preternatural uh, miracles. And these are miracles that exist outside of nature, or they exceed what is natural or regular. So they focus on subjects in which perhaps similar effects do occur in nature, or can occur in nature, but what distinguishes them as miracles is the precise circumstances or timing uh, of them. 
which indicate that this is not a natural process, but there's something else that has impacted it. So, for example, you would say uh, the plagues in Egypt. It is very possible in the course of nature that there would be a massive infestation of frogs, plague two, and it's even possible in the course of nature for this to occur after a disturbance of the waters, plague one, and after the death of the frogs to an infestation of insects, plague three. Okay? You're thinking, there, I knew it was okay. All right. What reveals them as miracles is the occurrence of the ten plagues, one after the other, and the interaction between Moses and Pharaoh. The fact that Goshen is protected from some of the adverse effects, including the angel of death. Events might occur in their own right, but the sequence of them and the timing of them and a man standing there and saying, now, and it happening, makes it a preternatural miracle. And you look at it, you're going to be able to impress Tom with that, aren't you, when he comes back next time. When he goes for the original Greek, you're going to say, yes, but what about preternatural miracles? Um, and of course, then, the other one is what are called counter-natural miracles. They focus on subjects that are by nature contrary to the effects of ordinary process and life. So if you throw human beings into a fiery furnace, they will die. My shack, your shack, and a bungalow. Okay? He throws... And I, don't you love Nebuchadnezzar in the story? He gets really antsy because suddenly there's a fourth person who doesn't have his permission to be in the furnace. And you think, okay, counter-natural miracles. Miracles that are sometimes called miracles against or contrary to nature. So, you, ha you okay with that? Yeah? Anybody seen any of those? Supernatural one? Preternatural one? Counternatural one? Anyone? Yeah? yeah? Good? Was it good? Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Okay. Uh, ask, ask him about it afterwards. Ask Bob about it afterwards. So, I guess the question is, is the church so structured that that doesn't happen? Sorry? You think it is? This is great because I haven't even asked questions. Go on, go on, go on. Why, why, why? Go. give him the credit for and um, I think humans we are all far too much controlling and sadly in the church we suffer with that okay because a structure if you start to put a structure within the church obviously you need to keep order but you need to let God be God okay and sometimes I think it's a great shame you feel the power of God and then everything is stopped. Okay, all right. And we stop God. I accept that. I tell people that I'm a practicing Anglican because I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying to get better. So it's interesting, isn't it? You, we talk about, okay, we shape life. And of course, the main thing about miracles is that they are not under our control. And one of the things that the church we like the most is to be in control. 
Have you ever thought what would happen if Jesus walked in on a Sunday morning? Somebody would give him a hymn sheet and, and tell him to sit down and be quiet. You know. So that, that was just me being naughty. Okay, so here's a, here's, since you're in a new group, I ought to let you do something. Here's a question. If God is supernatural, where does our struggle with miracles lie? Okay, so off you go. Five minutes, go. If God is supernatural, where does our struggle with miracles lie? And if you don't like the group you're in, make an excuse and move somewhere else. Up. That's wonderful. Okay. Now, bear in mind, just tell me, tell me one thing in answer to the question that isn't your opinion that you've heard from somebody else. Okay? So just give me one thing. Where does our struggle with miracles lie if God is supernatural? Give me one thing, but not your opinion, somebody else's. Come on, you were listening, weren't you? We're too clever for our own good. Oh, too clever for our own good. Okay. Like that one. Whoever said that, well done. Um, yeah, at the back there. Here we go again. <laughs> we restrict what God can do by our own belief, basically. We don't feel, we don't give him credit for how almighty, all-powerful he is. Okay, thank you. Yeah, okay. And because one of the problems is we look at what God can do through what we could do. You know. Okay, anybody else? Yep, one over here. I'll kind of paraphrase, but we were talking about um, there were more miracles in Africa and places like that where there wasn't so much dependence on medical or access to medical. So there's the sense in which um, uh, we don't seek the miracle because we seek the medical first, whereas in Africa they don't have access to that, so they'll first seek the miracle. True. Okay, thank you. One more, just for the sake of it, there we go. It might be a sham with sort of... Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody wants to get fooled, do you? You don't, you don't, you don't want anybody... You don't want to say, wow, it's a miracle. Um, and, and, of course, church history is full of moments that are less than um, glorious. Shall I tell you a glorious one, though? And this is documented. You actually go and find it. Um, it, it was released... You know Smith Wigglesworth? The equivalent of the Daily Mail used to report his healing stories on the front page from his campaigns. Uh, in Australia, there's a guy called James Moore Hickson. You've never heard of him. He travelled through Surrey in the early 1900s and ran healing uh, meetings. He, one of the reasons I'm at St Albans, he spoke at St Albans and ran healing meetings in St Albans in Hindhead. But the papers, the secular press, reported the miracle stories. So here's a quick story. I can do it really quickly. This guy called John G. Lake. If you've never come across John G. Lake, look him up. He arrived with a team in South Africa literally the month that bubonic plague broke out. And John G. Lake took his team into the plague camps to minister to people and to bring out the dead. So the medics said to him, you can't go in there because you don't have any protection. To which John G. Lake said, I have the blood of Jesus. Now the medics are going, oh my word. I have the blood of Jesus and that is more powerful than anything else. So the medics wouldn't really go for it. They were like, mm, get this man into a white straight jacket and take him away. So John G. Lake said this, test it. So he said, bring a microscope and bring some of the disease and put it on my hand 
and watch it under the microscope. So they took the fluid from the lungs of a patient who died and there were, there were quite a few medics and journalists around and they literally put his hand under it and they put it on his hand, on his skin. And as soon as the, the plague touched his skin, the plague started to die. And in the end, there was nothing left of it on his skin. He did it a number of times. Te and he said, test it out. Now you're sitting thinking, not on a Sunday morning, please. <laughs> but it's really interesting that people who come to a place of, well, you call it faith, but actually you're really thinking, hmm, really? I mean, all the healing stories. I mean, you love the healing stories, don't you? That's a trick question. Okay, don't, don't say yes. You know I'm going to mess with you. Okay, the healing stories, you love them, don't you? Yeah, yeah. What about the spitting on mud and sticking it on somebody's eye and what about putting saliva from your mouth on the tongue of somebody else who's dumb I mean you're thinking oh health and safety are like I mean we're like don't even or I mean Smith Wigglesworth punching somebody in the stomach to be held and you're thinking no and by the way I have said to the acorn team don't do any of those but it's really interesting isn't it we want tidy miracles we want miracles that are like us you know neat and packaged, what we've discovered is that healing isn't often as tidy as we'd like it to be. In fact, John Wimber said, I'm more interested in ministry than neatness. And if I could put something, I was going to say, if I could put something controversial out, you wouldn't say, you mean you haven't already? But um, you, you know when people say we're going to have a, a time of ministry at the end and if you want to come forward for prayer? Do you know why most people don't come forward for prayer? Any idea? Oh, they maybe don't believe it helps. Okay. Sorry? They're, some people don't think they're worthy. Embarrassing. It's embarrassing, yes. Any more? Don't think it'll do any good. Gosh, this is faith building, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> woohoo! Anything else? <laughs> Sorry, Bob and I have sparred many times. Um, any do you know why? Because they don't feel safe. And I say to most clergy, would you come forward if you were sitting in the pew in a meeting and somebody said, come forward if you want for prayer, would you go forward? And he said, no. And I said, so, you're, so one of the things we did in Vineyard, we had to learn how to create a culture of response, that it was okay to respond. And rather than some churches, you go into a little room over the side and people never think they're going to see you again because you disappear into something. Or, or, you, or suddenly you get under a holy huddle of people. I prayed for a lady in the coffee queue at a church, an Anglican church of all things. I mean, disgraceful, in the coffee queue. And she said, um, would you pray for me? Because I talked about healing in the service. And I said, yeah, by all means. So we're literally in the queue, just, you know, pass the biscuits, you know, pick one up as you go. And I, I said, yeah, what's the problem? She said, uh, I've had IBS for eight years. Every day is a day of pain. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just pray for you. So I said, would you put your hand on your tummy? She did. We're in the coffee queue. You know, and I put my hand on her tummy as we're in the coffee queue. Uh, and I would love to tell you that I prayed this incredibly scintillating, theologically accurate, earth-splitting prayer. And I just said, Lord Jesus, there's a problem here. Would you please heal this? Amen. And then we got coffee. I thought, it's a, it's a deal, isn't it? Yeah. 
So I saw her the following week, and that's the thing about Anglican churches. You're going to be there the following week. It's okay if you're like a little maverick, you can rush in, create a mess, and then run off and never be seen again. Well, this is a church that I'm part of, so I, you know, so I saw her the following week. My question was, what would, you have, what would your question be? Yeah, I said, how's it been? She said, I've had my first pain-free week for eight years. So I said, okay, see you next Sunday. I said, how's it now? She said, I've had my first pain-free fortnight, my first pain-free month, six months, year, two years, three years. I'd love to tell you that the prayer was so incredible. I have a sneaking feeling that Jesus is the healer and I'm just the pixie that helps him. Because actually, we don't heal anybody. We don't heal anybody. We're just the helper that gets to say the words or to lay hands on it. But there's another story completely, which I won't tell you about. Laying our hands is not just saying, oh, let's just put our hand on the shoulder as we pray. That's not the laying on of hands, okay? That's just being nice to Bob, okay? So, um, last thing here, and then we're going to pray. Okay, you ready? Do you want to go back to where you've come from, or are you happy where you're sitting? You've got to say you're happy, aren't you? Because it would be really bad if you were Yeah, I know, Okay. I just want to talk about the nature of faith. I mean, at least if you don't agree with me, you're going to go home and say, well, at least we laughed for a bit. Or some are going to say, well, he really annoyed me. Couldn't wait to get out. Um, I want to talk about the nature of faith. Faith is in something. It's not faith. You don't have this capacity like you bought a packet out of Sainsbury's and it's faith and it's yours. That is not it. That's called naivety or presumption. Because faith, biblically, is always in something or someone. When we hear the words, and Jesus says to the woman, for instance, go, your faith has healed you, we hear that in the dialect of the now indispensable version of the Bible. The Jews didn't hear it like that. What the Jews would have heard, Jesus saying, your faith in me has made you whole they would have got the nuance. It wasn't that this woman had the ability to believe things that weren't true or real. What Jesus is saying, your faith in me has made you whole. See the difference? It's not faith. It's faith in. So here's your question then. Um, You, we try to work it what faith was. And I know you're going to tell me faith is the evidence of things not saying the... Exactly, okay. And actually... um, The NIV sort of translates that poorly from the original Greek. You have to go back, you know, because it's not about the certainty. It doesn't use that word. It talks about conviction in the Greek. Because the opposite of faith is... Yeah, trick question. The opposite of faith, we say it's doubt. It's not. The opposite of faith is certainty. Ooh. You, you look at me and go, no, you cheeky person. <laughs> Actually, if I'm moving in faith, I'm not in the place of predicting the outcome. I, I'm, I'm certain about something, but I'm not certain about the outcome. I'm certain about something else. And this is the thing that we've worked on in ACORN, that faith is moving in the conviction that do- God does and must act consistent to his word and his character. How do you, do you like that? What do you think? No, yeah, maybe. 
you think in your... Re I'm not rewriting the Bible. I got this from the Bible. Just, you know, it's the alternative Wes version of the Scriptures. But actually, um, when we move in faith, I am acting on the premise that God does and must act consistent with his word and his character. So, if you take a friend to an evangelistic meeting, you know, Billy Palau or Lewis Graham or whoever it is, you get, get them to the meeting, you're never going to hear a message that goes like this. God says he really doesn't like you, he doesn't love you at all, and in fact, if you were the only sinner on the face of the earth, he would not have considered you worthy of sending his son to die on a cross. So there, says God. You're going to work out pretty easily that that's not God, aren't you? Why? It's not consistent with his word. God, God hasn't said that. He said, in fact, the opposite. But you also know that he's not like that. His character isn't like that. So when we pray for healing or salvation or restoration or anything else for anybody else, we're praying on the basis that God has told us to do this and he can only act consistent with what he said and who he is. So our faith is in him acting consistent to his word and his character. My faith isn't on predicting an outcome for you. That's his business, not my business. My business is just to do what he said, which is to say, and I've, I've, I've decided that I will pray for anybody who will let me pray for them whether they're a Christian or not. Anybody will let you pray for them, just pray for them. Keep it short. Prayers don't get more powerful the longer you go on. Okay, they just get lost. And actually, if you're doing prayer ministry and you've gone on for longer than 15 minutes, you're probably edging towards counselling. <laughs> or you're going around a second time. Have you ever had that happen to you? People pray for you and you think, right, they've ended. And they think, no, we're going around again. Okay, <laughs> second time around. Maybe it'll work better second. Sorry, I'm being facetious now. Stop. Okay, this is nearly over. Don't worry. Um, how does faith work? I mean, it's a great question, isn't it? Because we want certainty, but God gives us trust. God says, you're just, just going to have to trust me. Do you know, I, I can say this very nicely, but most of the Western church has got trust issues. We believe in God, we just don't trust him. Do you think I'm being unfair? Because actually what we do is we structure life so God doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> and you ask the question, why? Because we believe in him. We just don't necessarily trust him. There's a great, I, I, on YouTube, there's a great clip. You know, you know the falling back thing of the trust thing? There's a great, there's a great uh, work team doing team building. And they get this guy standing on this chair and they just say, okay, you fall and we will catch you. So they're all getting behind him, going like this, going like this. And the guy, and he goes forwards. And, <laughs> you know, and you think, okay, somebody should have explained that just a little bit better. So in this thing, we want certainty, but God gives us trust. When I pray for somebody, what am I certain of? Well, I'm certain of Jesus. I'm not certain of the outcome. I'm certain of him. I'm certain of his love, of his grace, of his power. I'm certain that he sent me to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. But the outcome is his, because he's the healer. We want control, but God gives us assurance. Isn't that such a thing? 
you know, you'll pray for somebody if you can absolutely control the environment and the outcome and how it's going to work out and if you can control how you look at the end of it even better. The thing we don't want to do is we don't want to look stupid, ineffective, and a bad Christian. So God doesn't give us control. He gives us assurance that he is in control. It's different, isn't it? You have to think about that one. If anybody wants the PowerPoint of this, you're very welcome to have it for nothing, okay? Uh, one of the things that Acorn's doing... Uh, at the start of the pandemic, we felt the Holy Spirit speak to us and say, you need to give everything away. So we give everything away. We don't charge for any of the things that we do. My trustees are having a great time of it, but, you know. So we want certainty, but God gives us trust. We want control, but God gives us assurance. We want knowledge, but God gives us revelation. And they're the, they're the things you can't pin down. You know, I want to know exactly what's happening inside this person's head so there's no way I can get this wrong. And all I get is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Wes, think about this. Wes, 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 come on, think about this. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, but give me a bit more. And he says, no, you don't need a bit more. Just do this first. Have you had those moments? Have you seen people, they stand up on platforms and they go, there's somebody here who, have you, you've seen that, and you think, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. Can I just tell you that it doesn't always work out in the way you think. I'm, I'm at a very large meeting that happens uh, at Easter in tents, which you can work out what it was, and God says, Wes, I want you to go and say, there's somebody here who? And so I said, there's somebody here who what? And he said, no, no, I just want you to go and say, there's somebody here who? <laughs> so I said, no, I know that, but there's somebody here, here who What? And he says, you don't need the second bit until you've done the first bit. Aren't you, you're loving that, aren't you? You're thinking, oh, yes, Sunday morning, I'm, I'm right up there. I'm going to say to Tom, Tom, i got this thing. And so I did. I had to say, Lord, what was at risk? Well, I wasn't in control. I didn't have sufficient knowledge. And I certainly wasn't certain. I just had trust, assurance, and revelation. So I did. I went, there's somebody here who, and as I said the word who, God gave me the other bit, but not before. You see, it's a need-to-know basis. Until you've been obedient, you don't need to know. But we hate that, don't we? That's why it's called faith. You've got to have faith. Mm. Do you realise that's the only line of the song you can sing in a Christian meeting? You can't sing any of the rest of the song after that bit. And don't look about why you shouldn't. Trust me, my mother told me I, we shouldn't. So, here's a question for you. What does faith feel like? For you, okay? Off you go. What does faith feel like to you? You're thinking, oh, please, can I have coffee and go home? It's nearly over, trust me. Okay. What does faith feel like to you? Stay where you are for a moment. I'd like to read to you the words of the uh, English philosopher Gordon Sumner. He says, you could say I lost my faith in science and progress. You could say I lost my belief in the Holy Church. You would say I lost my sense of direction. You could say this and worse. But if I ever lose my faith in you, there would be nothing left for me to do. 
Some would say, I'm a lost man in a lost world. You could say, I lost my faith in the people on TV. You would say, I lost my belief in our politicians. They all seem like game show hosts to me. But if I ever lost my faith in you, there would be nothing left for me to do. I could be lost inside their lies without a trace. But every time I close my eyes, I see your face. I never saw a miracle of science or progress that didn't go from a blessing to a curse. I never saw a military solution that didn't always end up as something worse. But let me say this first. If I ever lose my faith in you, there will be nothing left for me to do. Anybody know who Gordon Sumner is? It's Sting. If I ever lose my faith in you. And you know, one of the things as I read that, I thought sometimes the world's prophets hear something that the church's prophets don't hear. If I ever lose my faith in you. And you say, well, maybe he was talking about somebody else. It's true, Shakespeare did it all the time, but actually the reality is that if I could give you one thing tonight, it would be that you had a renewed trust in Jesus. Not in technique, not in a quick, slick way of doing it. Because when you pray for somebody, the person you're going to want standing next to you is him. And that's enough. So what I'd like you to do, just if you will for me now, is I'd like you to turn to one other person. And if you are a charismatic and you're used to getting words of prophecy and things that are like, um, you know, the Iliad, could you please not do that? Okay, I know you're going to get more revelation than, you know, I'm not asking for that. I'm asking you to do this. I'm going to borrow my friend Bob because Bob is my friend. Can you just come this way? See, you shouldn't have sat there, Bob. It's, really, it's your own fault. Okay. Yes, I could prophesy over Bob and I could tell him lots of things. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you simply to do this. I'm asking you to simply, in a moment of, of prayer, to lay your hands upon somebody else with intention. And I would pray for Bob and I would say, Lord, let Bob trust you more than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. And then he would do the same for me. And he would put his hand on me and he would say, Lord, I just ask you, let us trust you more. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's all I'm asking you to do. So just find somebody else and do that with them and they with you. Now. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You don't have time to do a recipe. Just do it now. Just do it now. Um, the final thing is I haven't got time to do it now, so... Um, you'll have to say to Tom, don't ever invite that man back, whatever you do. But we could have talked about the five arenas of healing in uh, the Christian healing ministry, but you'll have to 
I was going to say read the book, but I haven't written one. If you want to read a book about healing, there's a guy called Jordan Seng, S-E-N-G. He's an American. He's written a lovely little book about healing. And people said, what, have you written a book about healing? I said, no, because Jordan Seng wrote it first. And why write another one for the sake of it? It's a brilliant book. It's called Supernatural Work by Jordan Seng, S-E-N-G. Um, I would like to say you've been a wonderful audience, but I can't say that because you've actually been a great congregation. But thank you very much for having me. I'll hand over to you. Wes, um, you've given us a lot of food for thought um, and uh, entertained us as well. And thank you for coming here at the end of a long and busy day and uh, giving of yourself in order that we would have more faith in Jesus. So let's just pray as we close. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you are all that we need and that you would grow our faith in you more than ever before. We just pray your blessing on us as we go. Bless Wes and go well with him, Lord. And we thank you for all that we give, the, all that you give us. And we pray that we would do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming.